Welcome everyone to our January 22 PEAT Collaborative. We are so excited that you're here. Uh, my name's uh, Emily Jones. I'm at Illinois State University and myself and Chad Killian are going to serve as our kind of our planning session here or our, we, were, we served as sort of our planning team and we're going to help moderate and facilitate hopefully a really rich and dynamic conversation today. As we've been planning for this time together, um, we really have been um, anticipating this discussion, um, hopefully revolving around important issues that you've been facing perhaps recently, perhaps things that have been in your space or in your context for quite some time that you've identified as uh, critical challenges or issues and some of those uh, the consequences that you have seen of those challenges as they have transpired in your setting, in your professional experience uh, at your institution or maybe in your communities or K-12 schools. Um, we recognize that these issues that you've been experiencing might be context specific to where you are via region, context or population that you work with. But what one of the things that we hope to hear and see today that as we talk through and bring up these issues that are important to each of us, that perhaps there's something collective going on as well, that perhaps it might be happening in the New England states or out on the West Coast, but it's also relevant in some way to something that's happening in the Midwest. Hoping to, to be able to um, bring this community together in a way where we can begin to courageously confront some of those issues that we might be experiencing. Um, we've titled this session Problem Setting and Solution Oriented, and we do hope that um, as we um, pose some of these questions to the whole group as, a, as an open forum, that you feel um, comfortable to present the issues that are important to you and relevant to you that um, might be critical to moving our fields forward, our disciplines forward. Um, bringing to the table issues um, that you're facing are also, we're going to accompany that with perhaps some solutions and look for ways that we might collectively address um, the issues that are there. Um, it might require, um, or it might, we might find that some of these issues maybe are um, spark some debate. Uh, raise some questions or maybe some eyebrows. Risto's eyebrows often go up during conversations. Um, it maybe um, highlights that we have conflicting ideals, perspectives, or even philosophies. But as we walk through our time together, we hope that uh, that conflict, those debates, those questions um, produce in us a stronger um, acknowledgement of how our diversity and uniquenesses can be seen as a strength among us rather than a weakness, and that we can challenge one another to lean into some of those differences in order to come up with some new solutions that we haven't seen before in our field. So um, if that sounds inspirational, I hope it is, but really it's, we encourage everybody in this time to um, as Jamie said, with the ethos and the norms of our time together, uh, we're encouraging, we hope that this can be a time for us to um, hear the voices of all those who are interested and compelled to share their, their perspectives. So um, the logistics for our time together is really open. 
So we might have some silence. We might not have enough time to get to all of the comments. It's gonna kind of depend on all of us in the room. So Chad and I are going to pose a prompt um, in the invitation to the PEAT Collaborative. Some of the prompts were shared. Um, and so perhaps you've had some time to think through um, what's important to you. We'll have them, I'll share my screen here in a moment for the first prompt. Um, so we'll be able to read it for those of us who learn differently. So I'll pose the question to everyone. Jamie is going to serve as our manager. She's going to look for people whose hands are raised um, on Zoom. And then um, Jamie's gonna help call uh, and give individuals an opportunity to unmute and share their thoughts and perspectives. Um, if you don't feel comfortable raising your hand or talking, this is always a thing within the Peak Collaborative. Use the chat to extend, ask for clarification, or perhaps you're in a similar situation and you can provide an example. Uh, we're going to use that chat feature and that function to do that as well. Okay. And we'll move along as we, uh, the pace of our conversation will move along based on um, people's interests and, and willingness to share. Okay. Does that sound all right? All right. So here's going to be our first prompt. Okay. Jamie, can you see my screen? I absolutely can. And I'm as confident that everyone else can as well. Awesome. Okay. So here's our first problem setting question. What are critical issues and problems facing our field health and PE today? So specifically, are there important challenges that you can bring to the table? What opportunities do you see developing? Where or what do we need to prioritize to take advantage of these situations and these opportunities? Um, and you know, the fourth dimension of a really complex question is here too, is what have you experienced or maybe accomplished that could help others addressing some of these, addressing some of these issues? You can respond to one, or if you want to and designate, you know, this is one of our most important challenges right now. That might be maybe the best way to start. Okay, we have a hand up. So I'm gonna unmute Jared Russell to contribute. Uh, hello, everybody. Great to see so many wonderful faces and friendly faces. Uh, I know I've seen some of you at the recent NACI uh, conference and some of you I, I haven't, but it's great to see everybody and see uh, hopefully, hopefully you're doing well and happy new year to you. And like it was said earlier, we made it. <laughs> so let's keep on plugging along. Uh, thinking about critical issues and problems uh, going forward, you know, I, I'm, I still see the viability of programs as being a major issue. How are we justifying our peak programs? How are we supporting our peak programs? How are we going about uh, funding and, and providing opportunities for students who may not consider graduate studies particularly, but undergraduates certainly are falling in that same box. And how do we, where do we stand as far as um, almost like the prestige of our peak programs? You know, how do we encourage uh, individuals to come into our program. So from an administrative standpoint, I'm, I'm consistently thinking about and, and concerned about the next 15 years from now, what our programs will look like 
how viable they will be, particularly at our, 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 our research institutions. And you know, what can we do to continue to build back those pathways and pipelines into teacher ed so that we have viable students going out and, and uh, professionals for the future. So that's kind of always top of mind with, with me. Uh, as the as institution, our provost here at Auburn University asks us to look at viability data, which looks at the number of graduates over a period of time versus the cost of the program and so forth. And we've have some, we have some challenges here that we have to really consider going forward, particularly with our, our alternative master's program. So that's really top of mind to me. How do we continue to support and develop viable programs with the ever encroaching budget crunches that are coming down from on high that we can expect over the next couple of years? Thanks, Jared. I imagine that several others are probably going to either echo that or, and perhaps others have um, identified some solutions or strategies that they've employed at their institutions. So I think that's um, critical and on the minds of lots of us. So thanks for kicking us off with an easy one. <laughs> um, so Emily, do you want us to just keep rolling with the other folks that have their hands up? All right, I'm gonna um, bring it over to Brian Colt now. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, and Happy New Year. Um, I'm going to be pretty brief with this. So I was on social media this morning on Twitter. Big surprise for some of y'all who know me really well. And one of the things that I saw was from Professor Sean Latta. And this is a conversation that we're having here in Georgia, similar to New York State. And it's really thinking about um, the pandemic and the fact that how to teach students how to teach physical education in a pandemic. Um, particularly when we look at things such as large class sizes, when we're talking about 50 students or more in a class and physical educators still um, being in scenarios where they have to teach content in the middle of a pandemic. And what are we doing from a curricular perspective? Um, what are we doing from an advocacy perspective um, in order to make sure that we are teaching our content and also keeping people as safe as we possibly can, given all of these challenges. And I'll just leave it there. I think um, some of our friends from New York State could probably elaborate a little bit on that more because I think it also has some um, other different pieces in, involved with it as well. So thank you. Thanks for that, Dr. Culp. Um, ben, do you wanna unmute yourself and share? Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I, I want to echo some of the things that have been said already that I think some of our biggest challenges are, um, you know, obviously the quantity of physical education that's being delivered in our schools. And, and also, I think quality goes along with that. But, uh, you know, I think the biggest challenge there is that uh, with our PEAT programs being somewhat under fire, along with other teacher education programs experiencing drops in enrollment, you know, universities are typically reactive to the, the societal needs. And in, in public school right now, we've seen, um, you know, drops in the quantity of physical education that's being offered. Uh, the pandemic has probably made this worse. But I think our biggest challenge, though, is, uh, is understanding more about exactly where our the state of our field is right now and so uh so that we can actually make some change toward policy and so i think we need to know more about exactly 
what what it is what is the state of physical education in the United States? We need to have better data about that, and we need to make a, a stronger push towards policy. Definitely, um, Randy, did you have your hand up? Someone mentioned you might have had your hand up. I'll just allow you to unmute if you wanted to contribute to the discussion. Yes, thank you. Um, my name is Randy Nichols from Slippery Rock University, and I just had a few thoughts. <clears throat> a lot to, based on what Jared said. Um, to answer those questions, we, we completely revised, we certify physical and health education, uh, both physical and health education in Pennsylvania, K to 12. And um, in 2014, we undertook a complete revision of our program. And I obviously I can't get into that today, but we these are issues. These four questions are things that we spent a significant amount of time tackling and actually worked with a firm out of Pittsburgh to help us sort of tackle it. And I was just going to give what we have as what we found as answers to those first four, specifically what are the most important challenges? What we found to be the most important challenge was uh, our relevance in society. That society just does not see us as relevant. And, and we see that based on what folks have just said, our quantity of time that we get in schools, the policies that people make around us. And a lot of times we blame other people for that, but I think maybe we could look inward and start to look at ourselves a little bit and see what have we done that have caused this to happen. So we see that as um, specifically the most important challenge. And number two then leads to future teachers, um, just high school students coming out wanting to make a difference in the world and not seeing us as a place that they can do that, a place that they can make a significant difference in the world. Um, often we lose a lot of students to exercise science and pre-PT and pre-OT. And when we interview and ask them, they say, oh, I wanna go do something important. I don't wanna play games or I don't wanna play sports. Um, so that's an answer to, to the first one. Opportunities, what we saw as the opportunity was self-care and well-being. Society, especially now, and we did this before COVID, but even now it's even more paramount that society just wants to learn how to take care of themselves. And they need to learn how to take care of themselves, quite frankly. Uh, question number three there, what do, you, what, what do we need to prioritize? In our case, it's uh, self-care and well-being that should be the emphasis. Uh, we've, we've kind of re redefined what physical education means in our, in our program a little bit, um, but I see that as an area that we could really take advantage of in terms of an opportunity out there. And schools, we, we, we own schools. We worked a little bit with our public health department at Slippery Rock, and um, they see schools as part of the medical landscape and see schools as a place to make change and be able to uh, work with other folks in the, in the medical neighborhood and the medical landscape. But we're the ones that own that space right now. So having that opportunity to be about self-care and well-being and health and wellness and the opportunity to own that school uh, property in time is a real true opportunity. And then the last one, D, what have you experienced uh, and have accomplished? I can honestly tell you that since we've revised this program, um, our numbers are up, number one, which is huge. And number two, uh, when we talk to administrators, we talk to parents and community members, their eyeballs go up. They, they get interested. Honestly, and that's been uh, uh, something that we've experienced that I, I think is a positive. 
what we've also experienced is some skeptical students who come to us are, who are sport minded and coach minded and want to be a sport and a, work in sports and work in coach. And they like, ah, I'm not a wellness coach. I'm not a health person. I want to coach sports. So we've lost a few students there. And honestly, uh, some of our own colleagues in public schools have seen us as that's not what I do. That's not who I am. You know, um, so anyway, that's, those are my, our thoughts, our, my thoughts. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Randy. Um, John, do you want to jump in? Thank you for the opportunity. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, my name is John Strong from Niagara County Community College. Um, Randy, those are those are some absolutely uh, fantastic points that that I hear um, and you know recognize as important in terms of uh, larger structural pieces. I wonder if if maybe we could talk a little bit about <clears throat> something that. Uh, seems potentially smaller, um, but really plays a role in everyone's life, not just the folks that are in our circles, um, in the health and physical education circles, but that extends uh, past our walls into the United States, into Canada. What's up to you, to you BC folks, Canadian people in the house, good to see you. Um, but, but, it, but it extends around the world, uh, this, this idea of competition, that I've been uh, looking into for, for, for a bit of time. The, the current state, and, and you'll, you'll excuse me uh, if, if I seem lost for words, because you know, I've got a big Bills game coming up uh, this Saturday, so I'm a little excited about that. Um, but, but the current state of, of sport and, and other realms within which competition takes place is challenging to me because uh, we keep flying into the face of individuals outside of our setting saying that we're no good, uh, that sport is no good, that competition is no good because they see the ugliness that is perpetuated by these fanatics uh, that insist upon a we versus them mentality. It boils over into politics. It boils over into interpersonal relationships and it rears its head again and again. To that point, um, I believe that one of the most important challenges that we are facing as a discipline is to destigmatize ourselves in connection to these ideals, namely the fact that if, if we can thwart the idea that to be uh, physically effective as a human machine has not uh, the, the, the attachment to the jock or the brick or the, you know, the, the go get a mentality, the tear down others mentality, but, but rather um, a mentality where individuals are more often than not going to strive with one another toward a common goal of excellence, um, then we can perpetuate that in our schools and from there into our communities and from there into our cities and into our states and into you know, the, the world at large as pie in the sky as that sounds. But, but it starts with um, our standards, in my opinion. I'm not saying uh, that, that there's you know, not a, a million things that should be in the standards, but, but this one in particular irks me because as great a job as physical educators do in the psychomotor and cognitive domains, is as large a deficit 
as we leave in the affective domain, there's there are so many folks uh, that are concerned with SEL these days uh, that we do not consistently, in my opinion, um, attack this wonderful opportunity to build human beings in our society to intentionally uh, put others first, to put purpose at the forefront of what they do and how they do it, and in so doing, allow for a better opportunity uh, for purposeful competition and the growth of themselves, their peers, and their communities. Um, that's my opinion. Thanks for that. And I hope that you navigate your stressful game coming up later very well. So um, Rhonda, do you wanna jump in? Thank you. Uh, you can hear me, yes? Good. Uh, well, first of all, yes, I'm going to be rooting for the Bills also because I live in New York. So good going, John. Um, I'm trying to stay very close to your four points, and I don't want to take the discussion away. But from a P perspective, there was one thing that occurred during the pandemic at the very earliest part of the pandemic that has had a huge impact on my graduate program. And we're still about 170 students strong with another 30 coming in for the spring break. So we're pretty busy and I'm in the office on a daily basis. But what happened was my alumni network, which is very large, it's over 500 people. I started to get bombarded with telephone calls from really panicked alumni who were tenured um, highly experienced, been out there in the field, and they were very fearful of their jobs. And in my own, I don't know, I, I reached into the dark, so to speak, and I came up with one line for all of these different telephone calls. And I simply said, I can't tell you how this pandemic will play out in New York State. It could be devastating. And I, across the country, it was as well. But do yourself one favor, go right now and see your principal and ask that person or assistant principal, how can I help you? What can I do to assist you during this very stressful time? It was a simple suggestion. It didn't take a brain scientist, but I'm glad I said it because then we lost no jobs in the time when so many other teachers have either left I have people who are still making this semester $83,000 a year and they're, they're TA. So they're teaching PE half-time or virtually. The remainder of the time, they might be helping the math teacher. But it, what happened was I, I shared the story with my current students and they said, you know, it was probably the best advice, Dr. Clements, because many of my students in the PEEP program are teacher assistants. We encourage it, they're graduate students. I tell them, get certified right away before you're ever done or ready for student teaching. And it gets them into the schools and they see the different things that they can do to make themselves more important. So the challenge for New York is still great. We're not doing fantastic right now. There's too many virtual PE programs still in my opinion, but I've learned in the, and our program and my faculty share this, I'm so lucky, viewpoint that we have to have people understand that physical education must be that helping group that we were many years ago. We are the people that 
help the person that doesn't know the technology. We're the person that's getting our athletic director's license. And so we can assist our principals. And I, I guess I just wanted to share that because it has made a big difference in my program um, and the way that we're handling the pandemic. And this is a very wonderful group of people today. So thank you. So we've had, oh, we've go, had ahead. Some, go ahead, Emily. We've had some pretty amazing insights and also some um, pretty active conversations in the chat. So if you're trying to listen and chat, um, good on you. It can be tough. Um, as a reminder, we're recording the session and then we'll uh, follow up with some sort of a synthesis and debrief at the end, as well as sharing out um, the recording so you can go back and remind or refresh yourself. Um, a couple of the things that I jotted down from those of us who shared um, by raising hand, um, some of the critical issues that came up there, um, generally speaking, the viability of our programs at the institution, the higher education level, um, not including all, but things like funding enrollments, uh, where we live at the institution, um, by who do we affiliate and, and why and how. Um, Another issue relative to the pandemic that's critical pandemic is how do we keep content in PE and preparing our future educators and um, upskilling some of our current educators to make sure that that content stays in physical education. Uh, what is the role of PE moving forward um, in current and post pandemic life. Um, policy and societal issues were brought up relative to how we contribute to play part of that game. Um, how do we be proactive um, instead of perpetually perhaps reactive in what it is that uh, how we're living in, in our society today. Um, what do we teach? What do we emphasize? Self-care, psychomotor, um, effective caring for others. Um, can we agree? Um, and then how we navigate uh, the space uh, in schools, that meaning and mattering that Rhonda uh, just kind of landed on here, I think, too. So there's probably a quite a bit others that I didn't catch in that in that dialogue. But let's move on to our second prompt and get people uh, now that we're kind of warmed up. This was good. Okay. So, all right, folks. Again, we're courageous. We're not gonna all agree with one another. Some of us think that things are plenty discussed. Others might see complete gaps in our literature. So are there important issues that we're not talking about in what we're publishing um, or in our public forums? Um, so what are those? Um, uh, what do we need to be talking about that we're perhaps not talking about yet? Great prompt, Emily. Um, I'm going to throw it over to Hans to start the conversation on this one. Uh, thanks, Jamie. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. Thanks for letting me be part of the soiree. Um, so the, the the one point that jumps out on on this particular prompt and um, is is the outsourcing of physical education. Um, we have to come off our high horse and think that we are the only ones that do physical education. Uh, we have fitness centers, youth, youth sport clubs, youth sports is a, is a form of physical education. Um, 
we have the YMCA, Parks and Rec, uh, anyone who thinks that there's no physical education taking place there, um, I think is in a state of delusion that we have the corner store on everything. And so we have an enormous amount of competition. And I can tell you that um, as, as marketing becomes more and more prevalent in all these different industries and, and programs, um, we are fighting an uphill battle and people are going to not see the relevance of physical education, as was mentioned before. And the one, the one thing that hasn't been talked about is that physical education in public schools, at least, is something that's accessible for everyone. And so that's something that we might be able to use as one explanation of why it's so important that we have physical education in public schools, charter schools as a whole different matter. But um, we, we are fighting a war essentially with uh, the fitness industry and, and all the other uh, options for parents to put kids in. Uh, and I suspect that that's just gonna increase. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Hans. Um, while we're waiting for someone else to come up, I think this actually is really good um, um, on offshoot, I think of some of the things that we talked about at NACI for those of you that were there and this notion that, you know, we have a lot of highly specialized courses in our programs that have small numbers. And I think Brian Downhower just put in the chat, like the you know, what is the Goldilocks zone for program size, right? And um, those pieces. But I think um, policy is, is definitely something that we need to be talking more about as a higher education community um, and not just talking about, but acting on. And, and this came up again at NACI in one of the sessions and this notion that we don't get um, that policy work in and of itself, like the actual action around policy is not valued from the standpoint of the structure of our universities, like around promotion and tenure, and where does that fit and whatnot. And, and policy research is challenging, right? So, um, but if we're not doing anything about policy, we're gonna continue to complain about the same things and nothing's gonna be happening. So I would throw policy out there, even though it is one of the examples listed, but is there anyone else that, um, would like to contribute to the conversation. If you don't do the hand raise feature, I can't see you because I can only see like four people on the screen. So um, I'm raising my hand physically. Sorry, I didn't push the digital button. <laughs> but uh, Chad Killian here, uh, just to kind of circle back uh, to what Hans was saying, sort of related to outsourcing and uh, an important issue that might might be a bit of a blind spot is, is, is sort of related to digital instruction and physical education and its capacity to efficiently uh, document outcomes, um, specifically uh, psychological and knowledge-based outcomes. Um, and so, you know, a question that I've been thinking about is what if a computer can elicit positive outcomes uh, better than a teacher? Um, and is that future too far off? Um, and so I think there's a lot of different ways to think about that, but maybe the emphasis could be on, are we demonstrating positive outcomes in our physical face-to-face -face classes? Um, so that in the event that, you know, a digital intervention emerges, which have been shown 
to elicit positive outcomes in the exercise physiology, ex, uh, behavior change uh, literature. We know that digital interventions can work with some populations in certain contexts. Um, so it's not out of the realm to expect that to occur within a physical education environment. If it occurs within a physical education environment and outcomes you know, are what has currency, then what does our field have to offer to resist that, you know, becoming sort of the, the status quo then? Um, so I, I just think that's a blind spot. I think, you know, technology piece is something that we haven't really grappled with as a, as a field. COVID sort of got, got some conversation started, but I, I, I just think that there's a lot more there that may be quote unquote dangerous to our field in some ways if we don't leverage it for the benefit of our students in ways that are that are meaningful um, and maintain sort of what we know is the value of PE, but maybe can't illustrate given the the data that we have currently. Excellent. Excellent points, Chad. Um, I'm going to go to Randy and then Phil. So Um, okay, so specifically to that prompt, um, what we found uh, during our work was uh, teacher prep. We, we looked at the curriculums of probably many of your programs online and saw that uh, most all of them are the same, very, very close to the same uh, curriculums, and they really have not changed drastically or much since the same program I was in, in the 80s, um, and not much, maybe even till the early 80, 80s and late 70s. Um, you know, names of courses have changed, but the general idea and the intention of what a wellness educator is, what we call them, but a, a physical educator. So that would be the area that we feel is not really being addressed in, publish, in public works, published works, public forums, et cetera, is just who is this PE teacher going to be in the future? And to go to Chad's points, you know, digital interventions are coming, but how do we embrace them? How do we use them? And, and what is the pedagogy look like to use those to be what we call wellness coaches in the future uh, in schools? How, how can we leverage that? How can we see it coming, know it's coming, see what society needs, what society wants, and, and, and meet that. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much, Randy. Um, Phil, you should be able to unmute yourself. Hi, everyone, happy new year. Um, look, there, there have been some interesting investigations in fields like therapy, where they considered whether or not a computer could do the work of the therapist. And they their conclusion on this was, the computer really wasn't going to be able to adapt to the patient, the client, as well as they possibly could. And in fact, not by a long shot. Um, teachers have to be um, not just teaching the content, but they have to be caring. They have to be able to move kids out for fire drills. They have to be able to move things around when, when the gymnasium gets taken over. Um, I don't see technology entirely taking over the role of a teacher. Um, there's too much adaptability in there. If we were talking about sitting in front of a computer and, and a, and a classroom-based subject, maybe. Um, but in a, a, a content area like ours, I think um, that's much less of a risk, even though some people 
um, can come up with some reasonably good ideas. Um, and my interpretation of Siri and Alexa is if they're the best for AI we've got right now, we're not in any danger of being taken over by the machines. Um, I do think the outsourcing of physical education is a problem. When I grew up in Australia, um, there were uh, Tennis Australia, Soccer Australia would come into schools and teach a unit of instruction. And what they wanted was the market share of those kids to go and play those sports. And it's a very strong motivating factor. And there are also in early elementary school, there were programs that came in and did fundamental motor skills because they, well, they were paid, they were paid good money for it. And um, it was in a, you know, a little bit cheaper than, than paying for a, a teacher. Certainly no HR issues and costs that way. That that I, I don't know if that's as big a threat to us right now. There's a there's a clear shortage of teachers in every state. Um, uh, it's it was that way before the pandemic, and it's been exacerbated because of the pandemic. Uh, I, I what remains a problem for us is entry into the teacher pipe pipeline. Um, there there are. Um, as best I can determine from our analyses we've done, that the single biggest reason for people to come and enroll in large numbers in physical education is to be a coach in America. And in Alabama and Texas, those states do not have a shortage of people entering physical education. Uh, other states, they do. But it's also really um, logistically, not logistically, contextually limited. So um, we have 79 to 95 students applying to Ohio State each year. And they don't get in because their ACT scores are so low. But those students do not go down the road to another university or two in the state and enroll there. They go off somewhere else to do something entirely different in another subject area. And so every state looks a little different on the, the teacher pipeline and getting folks to come into the field. Um, and the only other thing I'll, I'll, I'll say is we, we need to do I think what we've always been asked to do, and that is to do, to have our teachers do the job they're employed by the states to do, to teach the subject matter of physical education. And our teacher education programs uh, need to be much closer aligned to um, what teachers have to do in the field. Um, uh, and practice-based teacher education is one very strong model that helps with that alignment. Thanks for I'll, that. I'll stop there. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Luciana, who actually was just the Delphine Hannah lecturer at NACI. So congratulations, Luciana. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me well? Um, I, I wanted to add a comment to the discussion about technology and then quickly say uh, add something that we haven't been discussing. So in terms of the technology, I think it depends on what we believe the purpose of physical education is. If it's to provide more physical activity, then yes, we, we might quickly lose for technology because you know there, there are tons of videos. You put a yoga video, you put an exercise video, you put a video game video and the kids just move. And I've seen that happen in the school. So if that's the purpose, yes, technology can take over at any time. If the purpose is, ed is seeing physical education as part of an education for a democratic society, then no, then we have, then the technology cannot substitute. Obviously there is uh, nuances to that and a gray line between, between both, um, but, but, but that's um, what I see in terms of technology being used um, in schools and, and us risking the 
running the risk of having it replacing us and educators in general. Um, a topic that has not been discussed in our field's published work. Um, I've been recently interested in wage stigma and discrimination and think that's a topic that it's not discussed. Uh, I've been looking at the work of Jaeger in Australia, uh, examining disorder eating among uh, physical education, exercise science students, looking at their behaviors, consumption of steroids and dieting and eating restriction and over-exercising. And I've never heard of this uh, within Pete, within our field. And um, I, I don't know how well our students are doing in that way. So things such as how, how do we, how we as a field are contributing to this problem, are contributing to weight stigma, weight discrimination, body dissatisfaction, disorder eating. Uh, and then I think that's something that we can uh, look edit more carefully, especially in the US. There's a lot of literature on that, but it's um, not here. And obviously the intersection of that with all other marginalized social identities, right? Because in a way it's not in a vacuum, body size and shape doesn't happen in a vacuum, but it's related to socioeconomic status and to race and to gender and ability and disability. Um, so that's it, thank you. And Luciana left lands this topic with a really easy question too, right? She presents a pretty complicated um, and uh, dynamic issue here. So we're going to, I'm going to sort, of sort of attempt to synthesize what I heard, you all heard, and maybe are engaging a lot more on the chat. But um, what's not showing up in our literature? Um, outsourcing of PE um, policy, probably little p and big p policies. Um, digital physical education and digital technologies, how do we leverage those or, or proceed with caution? Um, are we training professionals to do the work in schools as they exist today? Who are we recruiting and attracting into our field? Are we perpetuating an ongoing stigma or are we bringing in individuals who are going to carry the torch forward? How are we addressing the intersectionality of social justice and equity issues in all of our work um, uh, relative to all of these issues? And then uh, weight stigma and body dissatisfaction and beyond. Thank you for your contributions. I love to see new voices, keep them coming. I feel the courage just drumming up here. Okay, next prompt. Y'all doing great. Okay. What knowledge, skills, and pedagogies are essential for health and PE and health and physical education teacher ed professionals in order to remain relevant? How do we train or maybe retrain professionals to build and reestablish these skill sets? This is an easy question, so I'm sure we'll have lots of hands. Excellent, we'll go over to Ben to start. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I, I wanna speak more to the second part of the question, because uh, I think the first part of the question is, uh, is a much bigger topic, but I wanna to shift to the, like what we should be doing as PE 
professionals. And uh, this is just something uh, that I've, I've sort of come into this field thinking and feeling and from, from being a, a, a K-12 teacher before this, uh, I, I just think we have a responsibility as, as the stewards of the discipline and that, that we sort of look at our PE teacher ed programs as, as obviously the place where we train new teachers as, as they're entering the field, as Phil said, through the pipeline, but that we don't forget about our teachers uh, when they leave our programs and go out into the field, because we know from you know, the socialization literature that oftentimes the, you know, the institutional press that students meet or that you know, in, beginning teachers meet when they, when they begin working, uh, in many ways, undoes some of the the work that we do in training them, and so um, you know, maintaining the relationship with the public schools, uh, certainly within our own states and our own immediate areas, is a very important part of that process. Um, and you know, continuing to offer educational opportunities through continuing professional development, uh, and you know, keeping our keeping our teachers uh, up to date with with what we are learning and and hopefully making changes to with our program as, as it goes along. And, and what I mean by that is not necessarily, I'm not speaking just about the university school partnership with, with say student teaching, but extending our professional learning networks uh, from our university out to our people across our states. I think that's something that we all have a responsibility to do um, as, as far as moving our profession forward. And I think in, in many ways, if we would do more of that, we would we would address you know what we all know is is we have quality issues of, of quality of physical education being distributed in our public schools and private schools as well but uh, we have a quality issue out there which is contributed to the quantity issue that we have and the imaging that we have as a field uh, we need to do better uh, and i think that that begins by um, you know considering the the training of a teacher to be not just the you know what four semesters that most of us have with them I think we need to think bigger thanks for that perspective Ben um Gay do you want to jump in okay so in Oregon we have lots of jobs and I am on a weekly basis getting emails and requests from people who are teaching on an emergency license to complete a program because they have three years to be on an emergency license and then they need to complete a program and have an endorsement. Although we, it's not really an endorsement, it's a, it's a licensure. Um, and so this idea of training, retraining, um, we don't have any kind of online teacher preparation and for physical education. And we are all, those of us who have visited with our state association, or not, not O-shape, but teacher practices and standards commission of like, no, we're not doing online. But we have a real need because we have so many jobs. And I don't know how to have the conversation around trying to train people who are already working on an emergency license and getting them some, some training. I don't know if anybody else is facing this and if you're doing anything online, but I would love to visit with you if you are, because we, we have a shortage of physical education teachers in the state. That's it. 
Thanks, Gay. Um, while we wait for others to raise their hand, I just put in the chat um, our doc students and one of their classes just read um, Tending and Fitzclarence 1992 and the Associated Response by Gard et al. 2013. And despite your feeling about those two articles, they bring up the question of, um, of relevance, right? And this notion that what is relevant right now may no longer remain relevant. Um, and, um, and how do we define relevance and who defines relevance? It kind of goes back to Brian Culp's point in the chat around who the programmers are, if we you know, are going around the, the road of technology, right? And so um, I, I feel like that that's something that, that we have disagreements on in the field um, in general is this notion of relevance. Um, I say it all the time to my undergrads, right? You need to create instruction that's meaningful and relevant, um, but yet we don't have the conversation around what is that? What does that look like? What is relevance? Um, so with that, I'll bring John in. Thank you, Jamie. Um, I actually just wanted to echo uh, yours as well as the point that, that Matt made uh, in the chat with regard to um, this idea of um, augmenting the, the, the shape of uh, or the norm related to uh, the mental model of physical education. Um, so often, historically, individuals, and you know, I've <laughs> got a policy in my, in my program related to, to the, the calling of our discipline as Jim, uh, as, as I'm sure most of you do, uh, you know, the, the, the whole idea of, of you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be a gym teacher. And, and I say, well, it's, that's, that's a shame because I only teach physical educators. Um, you know, th this, this idea related to what, is, what does that mean and what has it meant? When you look at uh, the ideas that folks are presenting with regard to what we have been historically, and you look at, um, you know, to, to an earlier point, what's happening in the pandemic uh, that Dr. Colt brought up, earlier, what's, what's happening um, with regard uh, to programming. People don't want the same old, same old. Uh, people aren't interested in gym. The people that are writing the checks were not historically good in physical education because they were pursuing uh, th those mathematical skills that, that placed them in those positions of power. And so what, what are we going to do to revolutionize our relevance? Uh, my answer is that if just, just to go back to what I stated before, if we don't see our opportunity, um, I mean, as recently as uh, this week, the Surgeon General uh, declared youth mental health a crisis in our nation. If we don't see that deficit and we don't see our curricular imperative to help assist that deficit, we're missing the mark and we're missing the moment. Um, we have, as part of our very curriculum, this affective sociological piece where we can intentionally identify the, the, the very means by which these individuals can lift themselves out of uh, these depression and anxiety-ridden states. That's, what, that's a big part of what we're able to do. I don't know how we, we don't capitalize on that, on that point because I really, uh, I really think it's a miss. Thanks for that. Um, Risto, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I'd like to comment on Gay's, um, Gay's comment earlier. I, I think it's, it's a difficult situation because the, um, 
you know, a student that comes up to you and says, Hey, I have a job. I need to get this like emergency course. I'm teaching during the day, seven to 3 PM. Can you work around in my schedule and do it? And a lot of traditional brick and mortar universities just can't do that. Um, but I also think it's for some students unfair. If you have an undergraduate in kinesiology, you have a master of science in exercise science, and then you realize you want to be a PE teacher and you come to George Mason, we say, well, you have to do two and a half years to be a PE teacher. That's a very long time after they get past their master's degree and figure out that they want a career change or they want to actually teach PE. Um, and again, it, it's a tough situation because you do need to make sure that they are trained and they know how to teach PE. And so, um, you know, there's, there's different ways that uh, people can get provisional licenses in Virginia. One of them is going to the Virginia Department of Education. They do a, a transcript analysis and they say, you need these, these, these courses. And we work with those students and they take those courses, but they are literally sometimes in the middle of the day and they need to work out. Sometimes they work at private schools and they don't teach on Tuesday so they can attend class. Um, otherwise, we honestly, we tell them this is our program. This is how you can do it. Or you can go uh, down to this university that offers a fully online program and you can do a master's plus um, teaching credential in a year and a half which includes student teaching remote and, but then you're sending them somewhere else. I guess one of the issues is if you let a student come in and they're taking just a few classes from you to check the boxes of being able to teach, then that, that person is in essence, a graduate of your program. They're gonna go out and say, I graduated from Ohio State, Mason, Cal State, whatever, like, I think that those are those are issues that then if you have really good PE teachers, you have a really good program, you're proud of it, people know that they're getting quality students out of your program. And then you start having other students in that program that are only there for nine to 12 units, and then can say that they, they came from Mason, or they came from your university. So you know, we're working on shortening that pathway to a year and a half, um, but it's an intense year and a half and they have to go through student teaching. But I think the alternative licensure that people have been talking about in the chat is, is a real danger for, for quality. Thanks. Thanks, Risto. We'll go Bob and Zach and then Leslie, and then we'll actually move on to the next prompt. So if you others have things to contribute, if you could use the chat to do that, that would be great. Um, so I'll come to you first, Bob, and then Zach and Leslie, you'll be up next. Uh, howdy, y'all. Hope you're all doing well as possible during these times and uh, always honored to be spending time with you. I'm going to go back to the original prompt and, and what do we need uh, for our students to be knowing as they go out into the field. And I want to redirect us to helping them understand the sociopolitical that they're a part of in their contexts that they're going to be going into. A lot of times we teach the instruction, the methods, the strategies of being in front of students, but we are community members, right? We, we want them to be a sustainable member of that community that contributes beyond the instruction, that they're a school-wide leader in terms of advocating for their students' health, wellness, and justice. And so how do we orient them and equip them 
to meet the socialization that, that has been mentioned, but then to push back on that and to advocate for our field within their local communities and, and to serve our local communities, to bring them in to our schools and to be reaching out. And I think sometimes when we're squeezed by the, the limited coursework that we're able to provide at some of our universities, that we're, we, we get stuck in this, in, here's how do you do instruction for elementary methods? Here's how we do secondary methods. Instead of thinking about it more broadly and giving them the opportunities to understand the full school-wide context and the way that the evolving role of a PE teacher is, right? The different aspects that they can participate in, right? I'm not just talking about like duty day. I'm talking about getting involved um, and presenting in front of the school board. I'm talking about helping out and uh, coordinating a coordinated school health where we're working with our nurses and we're working with our cafeteria staff so that students are surrounded with an environment that supports a healthy and active lifestyle uh, for all students, right? And to make sure that we're maybe identifying students that need that extra support and how do we do that? So not just the, the standing in front of the class instruction, but how do we give students, our pre-service teachers, the knowledge, habits, and skills and dispositions to be an effective member of communities? Thanks for those thoughts, Bob. Um, Zach? Yeah, uh, my my comment, uh, just go, I guess I'll go off of, of what Bob said. Um, he said a lot of, of my thoughts there, but, you know, I was thinking about when you think about teaching, I, I talked with a teacher um, not too long ago and they said, you know, I love teaching, but I hate being a teacher. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that when we think about teaching, we, we think a lot about just pedagogy and instruction. There's so much more that goes, that's the fun stuff, but there's so much more that goes on in a teacher's world. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about collective action um, rather than just expecting that the teachers are going to be able to go out and engage in collective action within, you know, localized collective action or, um, you know, on a, on a bigger scope, a bigger level. I think we have to train how to collaborate we have to teach how to do those type of things rather than just kind of uh, assuming they'll they'll just um assume those you know those skills as the uh, along the way so i think being really intentional on, on on how to work with others how to have collective action how to get engaged in communities like bob was saying their their community their school community i think those are all uh those are skill sets and dispositions that that maybe uh, haven't had the same amount of focus in the, in the past as maybe they need to. So just some thoughts. Excellent. Thanks so much. Um, Leslie, you should be able to unmute yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Leslie Dillon. I'm from Ohio State. And this I'm a second year doctoral student. And so I just came out of teaching in administration um, in 2012 in the fall of, I'm now 2012, the fall of 2020. And I just want to, um, say for Bob and Zach were kudos to you all because you all are um, speaking to things that a lot of educators don't know how to do and have to be taught. And a lot of us are being taught because of the social political issues that directly are affecting our schools and communities. And that's how you end up in it. And I have to say a lot of programs don't really prep you for it. But I also want to talk about um, some things that students in PE and, and health need to understand how to take care of themselves for longevity in the field. Because once again, there are a lot of things like the pedagogy, our knowledge in regards to our fields, that is the fun stuff. But there are so many other things that you're going to deal with as a teacher. 
And another gentleman was talking about um, just the, the pandemic and the effects of all of those other pieces that people will deal with and just the adverse experiences and the, the mental and emotional health aspects has to be taught within our programs to better prep students for the things that they're gonna be introduced to. So I TA um, right now and our students are being exposed to things that they never thought that they would and don't know, and may not really know how to handle these different issues that are coming up about because of COVID. So a lot of students are struggling with um, being in this new environment. So our programs definitely need to pay a lot of attention on mental and emotional health. And, that, and to understand that our spaces in health and PE are the prime places to um, be supportive for students in K-12 education. And that's my piece on that. Thanks, Leslie. I'm gonna throw it back over to Emily, but I do just wanna acknowledge um, you know, the um, different voices we've heard today and especially Bob and Leslie and others, um, graduate students on here because we need to be having those conversations with the folks who are coming um, after us. So thank you all for being here and I'll pass it back over to Emily. Thanks, Jamie. All right, we're getting to a close here, but um, in, in spirit of trying to synthesize these, these robust thoughts here for our third prompt about knowledge, skills, pedagogies, and training and retraining fact, um, people in our programs, some major things that showed up. Um, we've got to have some continuous professional development built into our practicing teachers' lives, as well as our lives. For those of us who are in uh, higher education, our learning can't. Um, also stop when we get our uh, terminal degrees. So how do we ensure that we're not just leaving our teachers out there um, and not providing them with some ongoing professional learning? How are we um, updating our curricula, for instance, and building and extending our networks across our state into different social, social sectors or partners that could help enhance those? Um, how do we prep uh, individuals for, for uh, online course design and delivery? What do we do when they're in an overwhelmed state and it's really just an emergency teaching situation instead of a quality instruction uh, in an online setting? Teaching either training or retraining individuals for collective action, uh, adaptive competence, a collaboration team building and communication across sectors. Youth mental health, how we ensure that there's an effective domain that's addressed. There was some really nice conversation in the chat about that. Um, training and retraining um, uh, individuals relative to the sociopolitical landscape of schools, helping individuals know how to navigate um, their life as a school community member. Um, and I might have missed quite a few other pieces in there, so my apologies. Uh, the One of the last prompts that we're not going to get to, but we were um, brainstorming this concept of, well, then if we, and as we talk through these problems, when we look forward solutions, um, one of the things that we're challenging each of us to do um, is to now identify certain partners. Now, who needs to be invited to these solution-oriented conversations? How do we get them there? What role does this group have in that? Um, what role does state or national associations or professional associations play? What role does uh, do policymakers and legislators play um, in being at the table in our particular contexts and our situations to uh, look forward and build some solutions um, and then try those out? And um, 
So from me to you, thank you for bringing these uh, problems to surface, setting the stage here for what are some of the issues that are most critical for us. Uh, this probably is a bit of a tip of the iceberg, and we are committed to continuing these conversations and moving more towards uh, solution solution-oriented discussions. I'm gonna hand it over to Chad because I haven't given him any opportunity to talk yet. Um, and so Chad is going to, um, he's got a few announcements and a sign off for us. That was by design, Emily. I think we do need to appreciate Emily and Jamie for their tactful and constructive uh, sort of facilitation of these difficult conversations. And I don't think today was very difficult. I think today was really constructive. I think we shared a lot of important points um, in ways that are, are meaningful and, and get the gears going. So, you know, kudos to everyone here, um, for keeping it brief, for sharing a, a lot of different perspectives. And I think, you know, the thing that we need to think about moving forward is this is probably the first in a series of these types of conversations. We've sort of proved that we can talk about the challenges uh, associated with our field and many different challenges and, and now begin to think about solutions. And one of the things that, I'm encouraged by or optimistic about is, you know, where we are in the, the progress of the PEAT Collaborative. I think we're, we're beginning to think about ways that we can leverage this community to benefit um, problem-solving um, strategies. How can we use, you know, this monthly time that we gather to, to make some announcements or to, to announce um, efforts for research or, or uh, offer opportunities for collaborations across uh, uh, universities. And so we're still figuring out the best way to do that efficiently uh, and, and, and in a way that, you know, everybody who, who has an announcement will, will be heard. Um, but just to kind of give a shot, um, based on some of the themes of this conversation, we want to give an opportunity to Ben Kern, who's got a research study, a pretty uh, a robust um, and um, the word is, is not coming to my head, but it, it's a national study that, they, that we want to get a lot of action on, and he's looking for collaborators. So we thought, you know, while we're sort of thinking about ways that we can leverage this time together to sort of do things like this, we'll, we'll let Ben model um, reaching out for collaboration. And so, uh, Ben, you can go ahead and unmute yourself and, and let us know what you're up to. Thanks, Chad. Uh, Hans has his hand up, so if, if he's got a point to make, I'd certainly defer before I jump into this. I'd need a few minutes. Hans, you're... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I just... Yeah. Um, so uh, to Chad's point, I, I, it, it, I find it striking that the interest in the Pete Collaborative uh, uh, still is at about 60 people, 56 people, I think I saw today. Um, we started off at, what was it, Jamie, 160. This, this was, of course, when everybody is in lockdown. Uh, but to Chad's point, I wonder if it would make sense to connect with Shape America and use that as a conduit to spread word about initiatives, ideas, uh, announcements, and those kinds of things. I mean, after all, it is the National Association. They have a pretty big reach. They have a bigger reach than this Pete Collaborative ever will have. And I know that people can bitch and moan all they want about uh, uh, Shape America with regard to, oh, they only focus on K-12. Well, we need to speak up. 
uh, as, as higher ed folks. And instead of saying, well, shit, there's nothing left for me to, to do at Shape America, I'll just leave, is, is to speak up and, and, and make, make Shape America listen. Uh, and so I know Jamie is on the board still for what, until March or April, is it, Jamie? Uh, and, and so uh, I, I, I would pursue that as a possible avenue. And if they don't, then go to, go to ICEP or, I mean, we can internationalize this group as well. So I, I, I'll bet you that most of the problems we face are more similar than different across the globe, uh, even if we have different um, uh, governance of education. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the perspective. As some of you know that have been here for a while, we purposely not aligned ourselves with an organization from the Peak Collaborative perspective. But I really appreciate Hans's point around um, using those venues to disseminate other announcements and collaboration efforts and things like that. Um, so Ben, with that, I'll have you jump in. Thank you. Yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly, Hans. Um, so I, I just wanted to offer an opportunity, uh, come on and, and sort of uh, plant a seed with folks that might be interested in collaborating. Um, I'll give you a little background about what's what we've been up to here. Um, I uh, when, once moving here to Wyoming, I got involved with our Wayford Advocacy Committee, which was comprised of, you know, just a, a group of physical education teachers in the state. Um, folks got really excited about wanting to um, make some differences in in policy, particularly around physical education quantity and some of the other policies that covered recess and things of that nature in the state. And uh, the discussion quickly turned to the fact that we had really no data about our state. We really didn't know how much physical education was being administered or was not being administered or any other policy for that matter. Uh, the current policy studies that have been out for years uh, just provided national level or state level data, but not really down to the classroom level and not very accurate and hadn't been done for a long time. So uh, this group got pretty motivated, decided they wanted a survey and we had a, a good database of our own state at that time, sent it out and grabbed a whole bunch of policy information that was a little shocking to all of us. Uh, we decided it was good enough and interesting enough to try and publish it, and lo and behold, JTPE accepted it, and it's uh, it's just recently gotten published. Um, the group's very excited about using that data in the future. That idea sort of uh, blossomed into bigger ideas between my colleague, uh, Kelly Simonton, who I think is still on, there is Kelly's here, and uh, talking with Hans Vandermars uh, about this idea of, of what we did just on our, our state level could easily be done in, in all 50 states. Um, <clears throat> and there's really no reason why it, it can't be done. It, it's labor intensive, but it, it can be done and it, and it should be done because honestly, if we wanna make differences in policy, uh, the national level isn't really where it's at. We know that state level policy is, it governs more of what we do than national policies as. And truthfully, uh, district level policy makes a big difference as well. So having data about this, about each of our states, accurate data uh, is very important. And so uh, getting to the opportunity here, uh, actually, Chad, is it possible for me to show my screen? Would you give me that? So I, it, this will be easier for people to see than to hear. You should be able to now, Ben. Okay, there it is. 
Okay, yeah, so uh, currently, um, my, a couple other colleagues and I have developed this uh, national level database. Oops, there it is. Now do you see it? <laughs> Sorry about that. So we've developed a, a national level database that has 16 states. And what we've done there is we've, we've manually retrieved uh, email addresses of physical education teachers that are currently working in public schools in those states. And you can see what the numbers are. They're representative of, of five districts, all five of the Shape America districts. And we have a pretty large total right now. We initially developed this database for other projects and, and, and you know, a number of different surveys have gone out use, utilizing it. Um, anybody who's done this type of work before knows that databases, uh, when, they're, when they're built this way, they have a lifespan because teachers quit their jobs or retire or take different jobs. And so, so these things sort of, uh, their, their lifespan is short. This one is going to have its lifespan ended at the end of this school year. And we wanna be able to send out uh, one more really strong survey from it. The idea came up that since this was successful in Wyoming on a smaller scale, we could definitely do this in the remaining 15 states that are on this list and have the intention of doing that. Uh, we wanna send out this uh, physical education, physical activity policy survey, something very similar to what we did in Wyoming to all of these states. And what we would like to do over uh, the coming years is not just get 16 of the 50 states, but systematically get all 50 states. And so if you are looking at this and you work in a, one of the states that's on here, um, I, we certainly want to talk with you uh, about what, uh, how we can collaborate with you if you're interested uh, to be able to utilize these data uh, through publication, through, uh, through working with your state organizations, with your state policymakers. Uh, so how to actually use these data. But if your state is not on here, we also are interested in uh, whether or not you are interested in getting involved in developing your own state's database. Uh, we've learned a lot through doing this, uh, how, you know, how to do it, and we could, we could assist and work with anybody who's interested in doing this in their own state uh, with kind of the idea that um, over, say, the next five years, we get, uh, you know, 16 states this year, we get another 15, 10 or 15 the next year, uh, maybe more after that, until we've basically, in a, in a short amount of time, have, have been able to, um, you know, do a policy survey of the entire U.S., something a little bit more in-depth than what is, has, has been done in the past and is, and is much more current. So uh, the throw out here is that if you are, um, if you are interested in being involved in, in this type of project uh, that you, you reach out and we, we sort of, uh, we get you organized into uh, uh, a meeting, something like this on probably on Zoom initially, just talk about what the details would be and how, you know, how exactly we could do that. Um, that's Ben, can you put your email or Kelly, yeah. both of you I maybe put your email in the chat? It, I, I had it, it, and then it all typed and ready. It's yeah, right perfect. there in the chat. So please reach out to me uh, directly. Uh, maybe Kelly, can you throw yours in there as well? And uh, Hans, I'm, I'm sure everybody can find your email, but if you, if you want to put yours in there as well. But we, uh, we'd like to get a group together of interested parties that we can talk about, you know, this initial distribution and what can be done with it, but then building more in the future. So uh, we would like to do that probably sooner than later. 
Thanks so much, Ben. And thanks for sharing just in the interest of time. Um, I'll have you put those emails in there. And if folks are interested in reaching out to Ben um, and being involved, that would be great. Um, I do want to, we are um, over time now. So I want to thank all of you for continuing to stick around. Um, if you have additional um, conversations you want to have um, that we will stick around for another 10 minutes or so, um, but we'll officially close um, this peak collaborative. And again, thank you to all of you that used your voices today, um, either by contributing um, in the conversation or in the chat. Um, I think, you know, this idea that, that Chad's talking about that, you know, we want to come together as a, as a community and really think about solution oriented aspects, but also have constructive conversation that can, can start to move the needle a little bit. So um, we appreciate all of you being here. Um, you know, we'd love to have you invite a friend next time, right? Um, bring someone with you. Um, the link is always the same. Um, and we meet on the second Thursday of each month at the same time, 4 p.m. Um, Eastern. And so um, thank you again all for being here. We very much appreciate it. Um, and as also a reminder, these sessions are always recorded and put out um, through the Health and Physical Education podcast, um, RISPO's podcast. So um, thanks again. Um, we'll stop the recording there. And if folks want to stick around, you're welcome to. If not, have a great rest of your week. <laughs>